This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. Here you will find truth talk for relevance restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons. Here we will unveil truth for color. Light is where you'll find truth. Truth is where you'll find color. Color is where you'll find God. Color is God. It's his love for you. Have you ever even thought of the world this way? Looked at color as something demonstrative of God's love for you? And get this, God tells us in his word that if we like what he has created here for us, we are really going to be blown away with what he has next. The world we know is but a shadow of things to come. He tells us our minds cannot imagine what he has prepared for those who love him. We can't help but celebrate this truth and color. Color here on earth is defined as the property possessed by an object of producing different sensations on the eye as a result of the way the object reflects or emits light. Light is what makes color happen. Color is a product of light and God is light. So there you have it. Light is what causes us to celebrate diversity in our colors, culture, talents, experiences, etc., in our stories. We were meant to share them, to celebrate the differences in them, to understand our God a little more because of them. Our stories reflect different attributes of our God. They testify to his everlasting goodness in myriad ways. Our guest today has a story to tell. In fact, she has lots of them. And what stands out the most to me about Soma Ray Hathaway is that she describes herself, get this, as a pain specialist. You better believe we are going to dig deeply into that. But mm-hmm. I also want you to know she is a gifted vocalist and a talented artist, as in a painter too. And I'll bet she didn't even guess I'd say that, the part about the vocalist, because that's not even in her official bio. But let me tell you, I've heard her. And she is amazing. She's also an author and a speaker whose platform is all about having survived and even thrived through all sorts of painful experiences. She was raised in a home fraught with drugs, alcohol, and abuse. She is quite familiar with the broken patterns and belief systems that can bind us to our misery. And added to all of that is cancer, divorce, death, narcissistic abuse, chronic physical pain, and so much more. So the thing about Soma is she is authentic and transparent. And I'm so happy to be able to get to know her. We we are just now becoming friends. And I know that there's something special between us, given her perspective on life. It just resonates with me. Her memoir is entitled Finding Diamonds in Dudgeons, and it is getting rave reviews on Amazon. And I'm just going to stop right there to give Soma an opportunity to to introduce herself, to give us some more information. And let me just say, Soma, it's just such a great pleasure to have you here on Color Speak. I am so excited to be here. And I love, love, love what you just said about color, because 
as an artist, I connect with that so deeply. I see things in the world from an artist's perspective. And one of the things that has always fascinated me since I was a small child is the beauty of a sunset. Mm, Always Always felt that God is in the sunset and that to me, it is symbolic of the promise of a new day. He's leaving us in the evening with this beautiful sight to remind us that that light will be there for us tomorrow. And the interesting thing about a sunset, as you know, it's created from light filtering through all the imperfections in the Mm -hmm. atmosphere, right? That's so cool. That's what God does with us. He takes us and he makes a beautiful painting of our lives. So that's why I I love painting sunsets. You've probably seen a couple of those, uh, but they're very symbolic to me. So, and I just, I've gotten chills because I feel this connection with you as well. I'm so excited to be here. And I just think we, we kind of come from the same kind of a mold, you know? (laughs) Yes, I'm actually smiling. I'm smiling so big right now. My smile is going to hurt by the end of this interview. I love you. I'm just going to tell you, I love you. I I just I had so much fun talking with you earlier. And oh my gosh, all of what you said, can we just stop down there? Because color, I'm just okay. So my story is, I am so attracted to rainbows. (laughs) I have I have an obsession with rainbows and it's not just because, okay, God's promise is attached to rainbows. The rainbow is a symbol of his love. We know that in Revelation, we hear that his throne is surrounded by a rainbow. How cool is that? So I love rainbows because, and I never shared, I don't, haven't shared this with you. My dad was killed in a commercial plane crash. I have a whole history of plane crashes, including the time that I flew doing traffic news reporting in Southern California, had my own emergency landing, and then a week later lost some colleagues as their small craft went down off I-5 in Solana Beach, which is San Diego. Anyway, I was putting my daughter, who was 14, on a plane from Kansas City to San Diego. I had been relocated here, and she was worked up about it and upset. And long story short, we began to pray, and a rainbow appeared over her plane. Now, get this. so much. It was wow. a full rainbow, no clouds in the sky, no rain. Wow. And I remember saying to the flight attendant, hey, listen, uh, look at that. And she said, oh, my gosh, I have chills. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be so bold as to say that's for me. <laughs> She, she probably thought, well, you know, we're going to be talking about narcissism today. So she probably thought, well, that that's a lot. you know. But no, the deal beautiful. was, I told her, I said, my dad died in a commercial plane crash. My daughter is on that plane. And we were talking about this very thing. Last week, my mother-in-law was here. I had my grandchildren in the car, seven and four. And we were talking about rainbows. And my mother-in-law was saying, when I was younger, and then I need, I always do this. Like I go off on this tangent. So sorry. But this is so cool. I want to share this with you guys. So my mother-in-law said, when I first got married to your granddaddy, we didn't have any money. So what we would do is pack a picnic lunch of peanut butter and jelly and we'd head out and would put a couple of blankets out 
and lay out looking at the clouds, trying to discover different shapes. And clouds have always been a big deal to me. And when your grandfather died, I had to leave the hospital for a a few minutes. And I looked up to the sky and I saw a cloud that looked like Jesus. And then I knew, I knew it was his time. So we're, we're sharing this story, hers and mine on the way home. And we get off on, off the highway and head onto our gravel road. And would you believe it's a brilliantly blue sky? But in this one section to the east side, right where our house was, was a beautiful white cloud with a rainbow coming out of it vertically. It wasn't even an arch. Wow. <laughs> just, we both started crying. It was Aww. so profound. I took a picture of it. I'll have to remember to post that at some point. But well, you, anyway, you know what? let's so, talk about color. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's really interesting about that, too, is that I just barely took a picture of a rainbow, not even a week ago, uh, with the intent of painting, doing my first painting of a rainbow. So (laughs) you're melting my heart. I have to (laughs) you once, once I've got it finished, but yeah, so that's probably the main thing about me is I've been an artist ever since I can remember. It wasn't really something I thought was a choice. It was just there and I, I knew that I was going to be an artist when I grew, grew up. I didn't know if I would be a starving artist or just, you know, a successful one. But I knew that's what I was going to do, even though I would get a lot of um, responses people saying, well, that's that's a nice hobby. But what are you going to do for a living? You know, uh, it wasn't there wasn't really any making a decision. I mean, I've made many, many decisions in my life, but that was one that I felt like was always with me since I can remember. And the other big calling that I have had in my life is that being of being a mother. I started quite young. Uh, I had my first daughter when I had just barely turned 20. I have four of my own children, and then I helped to raise seven other grandchildren or seven other stepchildren. So Uh, And I do have a couple of step-grandchildren now that I adore. So that's... You beat me. (laughs) You have 11 children. That's that's insane. I love it. I've I've been through divorce. And um, so, but I like to keep the grandkids. You know, uh, I might divorce the husband, but I keep their children's children. (laughs) (laughs) So I have, you know, a few that I like to call my grandkids that I just adore being with but oh that's wonderful yeah very good well and I've seen your work and it is beautiful and I am so excited to see your rainbow and I do want to add my dad was an artist he was an architect first and he was an artist and he did exhibit and he was part of the La Jolla Printmakers Atelier and he was a docent at the museum La Jolla Museum of Contemporary Art wow so I did not in I just want to tell you I did not inherit not a whit (laughs) of his talent. I can maybe do a stick figure. It's pretty hilarious. And I remember he would say to me, well, not my daughter. You have talent, of course. No, dad, you don't understand. It did not reach me. Yeah. One thing that I love about being an artist is that you have to learn not to be a perfectionist. I mean, I, I really, I still am, but I, but I fight it all the time. But the thing that I have learned is that mistakes are essential 
you can't, I cannot do a painting without making mistakes. And it's only in the mistakes that I'm learning something. So if I, if every paint stroke I did was the right paint stroke, I would never learn anything. So, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to have that in my life. And it's also someplace that you can go to, uh, to just let everything else melt away and be in the moment. And I think all of us have different things that different ways of being creative. We were created to create. So if you can find that part of you that is creative, maybe you're creating a website or maybe you're creating a home environment for your children or loved ones, or maybe you're, you know, creating something else. But that is a way I think to, to get lost in, in the moment and be in the now. Yeah, that's beautifully said. I have a friend who's an artist and I go walking with her during the summer. And I know she once said, if you look at life as a triangle, God's at the top, family and friends is on one corner and on the other corner is creativity. That's how you stay balanced. And I thought that was really good. And I agree with you. I've always thought we create because God created first and we are expected Mm -hmm. to create. Although I have to tell you, as wonderful as your painting sounds to you, it gives me anxiety because <laughs> I I just think about those wine and paint parties I've been a part of. And I'm like, you know, I'm like Charlie Brown with a rock in his bag. Everybody else's looks like fairly passable. Right. And I'm looking at mine thinking, oh, my goodness, why did I even bother? But I hear what you're saying. And I'm well, <laughs> no, I'll look back. I, admittedly, I'll look back at some of my paintings and just think, how did I do that? And really, the answer to that is God. He's the one who extends his creativity to me. And a quick story about that. So I've just, in the last year or so, started a new technique of painting that I don't, I'm not aware that anybody else uses. I don't know if you're familiar with that acrylic pour painting, P-O-U-R. No. So you take different acrylic paints and you pour them in a cup together and you layer them and you have different chemicals that are included in with these acrylic paints and then you pour it onto the canvas and it'll create its own unique you know these unique elements where cells kind of bubble to the surface and it swirls around well I take that background and I look at it until I find images that I can see that that are uh, valuable to me a value or or something that means something to me. And one of them, so I'm just looking at this canvas that's got swirly paint all over it, you know, trying to think of what is the image I need to paint or create from that. And I had a couple of different ideas. One of them, one of the ideas was God's hand extending out into the universe, you know, with planets and stuff. So I thought, oh, well, maybe that, but I don't know. So the next morning I was reading my scriptures and literally it said something about God's hand spanning the universe. Mm. And I went, okay, God, I'll (laughs) do that one. Thank you. (laughs) He is so adorable. (laughs) Yeah. So, So miracles happen all the time. I think when we step outside our comfort zone and trust in God, he 
extends our talents. He makes us better than we would be on our own. That's absolutely the case. What is your favorite subject to paint? Well, I do love creating, recreating nature. So so taking God's artistic talents and, and you know, creating something from nature. I, I love scenes from nature, but I also love images that, that stir up a lot of emotion. So one point last year, I was dating someone and it didn't work out and I was heartbroken. So I saw, I looked at one of those paintings that, you know, had the swirly paint around it. And I saw an image of a woman with her hands in her face and I just started painting and I finished the painting in one day, but it was so evident that my emotions were put onto the canvas. And I think people really relate with that because we all have life experiences. That's how we connect as humans. We connect through our stories. That's why I wrote my book is, is, you know, to, to connect with other people who have gone through a lot of the same things and hopefully to spare them from experiencing some of the, the things that I experienced, you know, so I think it's a way to connect. Yeah, I certainly want to talk about that. I also want to just kind of piggyback on what you just said, because it really, again, hit my heart. We, as humans need to express ourselves, that may be painting. I know my daughter inherited my dad's ability, Emily, she does that. Some people may feel that the way to express that that need to get whatever it is that's bottled in out is through composing music or singing. Yeah. And I know for me, uh, I've I've found it's a couple of different things. I didn't I didn't even know I could write until I was gosh, I guess I was in my forties, approaching my fifties, and I really just felt the need to get the stuff out that that I needed to express my humanness, but in a mm. way that I could relate to others and somehow connect. And so I found that through writing. But the other thing that has just come to my attention is taking pictures. Okay, so I take a lot of pictures. I love to whip my camera out when I'm out in nature. And I wondered for a while, why do I always have to take so many pictures? I, I do the same. I do the same. Yeah. And I, I told my husband, I said, I think it's because what you just said, Soma, is I want to connect with the people around me. I want to share this joy. I want to share the beauty. I can't keep this to myself. And that is holy. That's what God is all about, right? He is somebody we need to share. And the truth of who he is and what he's done for us is part of expressing the greatest joy of life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, yeah. I can't look at the beauty of nature or contemplate the perfect symmetry of the universe without this knowledge that God is real. You know, that's how we know he's there. It's it's evident in all the world around us. And, you know, of course, there's other ways that God reveals to us he is real. But I think those are just some very profound and obvious ways in my mind that he lets us know he's there and that he cares. Why would he make something so amazingly beautiful if 
you know, I mean, why would it, why would it be, why would a flower have such intricate beauty or a butterfly Mm. or, you know, insects or all these things are so complex and beautiful if it weren't for us to enjoy. I agree. And as a matter of fact, (laughs) and I I think I'm going to talk to you some more about this because I am trying my hand at writing fiction and I have a novel that I'm working on and my protagonist is an artist. (laughs) And so she expresses herself in so many of the ways you've just described. And getting on to your book, and and I haven't lost sight of that and so much more. There was something that you said to me today that really resonated. I need to circle back to, but I took my mom to the airport today, as you know, Mm -hmm. and we have quite a distance to drive to the Kansas City airport. So we had some time to talk and she was very contemplative. And she said, I just keep asking when I see the news and all the things around me, I just keep asking, why, why, God, do you allow this, this and this? Why, why? She kept saying, and I said, and she says, and I don't want to hear her from anybody else. And I said, well, Mom, I think, I think you need to just go to God and ask him because mm-hmm. here's the thing. <laughs> we're not disillusioned and we're not living in la la land by any means by focusing mm-hmm. on what's good here. We are very mindful of the way the world works. But my friends, mm-hmm. there is more good than bad. And we are told in scripture to think on the good things, do think, do what you can about the bad, pray, get involved, whatever it takes, stand up. And by the way, that reminds me, I'm going to look for that quote that you have in your book, which is amazing. You start your book with, but while I'm doing that, I just want to say, that's the thing. I mean, look at the butterflies, look at all that he's created, the sounds that Mm -hmm. we're treated to, the wealth of diversity that to me speaks of a God who's intricately involved and loves us. Yeah. Well, and I've questioned that myself, you know, how could God allow this to happen in in several different things in life, but most specifically what, what used to come back to me often was, was the Holocaust. Yeah. And, um, I used to joke that, you know, once I get to heaven, I'm going to have a conversation with God and say, you know, did this really need to happen? Yeah. Then I read Victor Frankl's, you know, a man's search for meaning. And it profoundly changed me. I love and adore this man for what he experienced. What he went through is such an incredible illustration of the power of the human spirit that goes far beyond any, you know, medical explanation for being able to stay alive under those kinds of circumstances. It's just a a a beautiful, terrible thing, you know, and um, I think we all have, we're all going to have our experiences in life where we think life isn't fair, either for someone else or for ourselves. But one of my main topics that I discuss is pain and the purpose behind it. It's not it's not coming from a heartless, authoritative God, these, these experiences that we have, but it's coming from a loving Father in heaven who allows these things to happen, but at the same time gives us the opportunity by, by giving us tools to help us 
navigate through these difficult times. And when we gain access to these tools or we become aware of these tools that are available, then we can use them throughout the, the rest of our entire lives. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you what, I did bring up what you had told me when I was talking to her and I said, there is purpose to the pain. Yeah, I couldn't even begin to adequately tackle that <laughs> to explain it. But I know someone who can and we won't have all of the answers this side of eternity. But right. the first place that we need to go is to God himself and ask him to reveal the truth. Mm-hmm. And by the way, since I have that verse up, I'm just going to go or that quote that you open your book with. This is in your preface or your prologue. Yeah. It says, it's by Elizabeth C. Stanton. And you say, the moment we begin to fear the opinions of others and hesitate to tell the truth that is in us and from motives of policy are silent when we should speak, the divine floods of light and life no longer flow into our souls. Amen. <laughs> love that. Okay. So let's talk about finding diamonds in dungeons. There's so much to talk about. So I told you I have not finished it. I was riveted from the very beginning because you are the transparency queen and you started with an experience in jail. So yes. I need to, I, let's talk about that because I, okay. I couldn't, yeah, I didn't want to go to sleep. I wanted to find out what was going on. Tell me about that. Well, I never thought that I would ever be in a place like that. But looking back, you know, hindsight obviously is twenty twenty, And I could see the signs along the way of how my narcissist was behaving. But I didn't even really know what a narcissist was. So I just thought that narcissist meant, you know, it was a fancy word for a, you know, a really big jerk. (laughs) I didn't know... The, you know, the real definition of it. And once, but only after I had that experience of being in jail and hitting that rock bottom, did that, that pain wake me up to something that was really important. And we can take pain and we can, you know, do a couple of different things with it. It, it can help us bring, bring us joy and, and learning in the long run, or it can make us stumble and prevent us from progressing. But either way, it, it's kind of a dance. You know, we sometimes we make the right decisions and sometimes we don't. But I really value that experience I had in jail because uh, you'll remember the story about the homeless man that I met, I right? I did. That stood out quite a that, lot. Yeah, that that is one of those profound moments that has affected me for for years to come. I, I, I just thought, you know, when someone has so little to give you and they give you the shirt off their back, so to speak, you know, it, it just illustrated to me what love really is and mm-hmm. that the narcissist that I was with didn't have the capacity to love me. I didn't need to hate him for that. You know, the pain that I had gone through was because I chose to love someone that wasn't capable of loving me. Yes. It, wasn't his, it wasn't his fault that I loved him. And I don't regret loving him because of the things I learned. He's one of my greatest teachers. 
But it it took some time to be able to get that perspective. And I'm hoping that as other people read my story, uh, it'll help expedite that process where they can be able to see with clearer eyes and let go of resentment and judgment. Now, there's there's a difference between judgment and assessment. Sometimes we need to assess a situation, remove ourselves from that situation if it's unhealthy for us. But it doesn't mean we have to judge the person themselves or call them evil or bad. You know what I mean? Yes, I do entirely. This All of this resonates with me. Well, let's back up. How did you end up in jail? (laughs) Well, so you're going to give away, we're going to give away the whole first chapter here, aren't we? (laughs) But it's so good. It's so good. I, and the the miracles that happened is is what is so profound to me. So I, I addressed my husband at the time about you know, a great, but well, I guess I need to go back further than that because the first, I, I got this prompting in my mind that came out of nowhere that said, you need to go check his, his emails, check his computer. And it, it came out of nowhere. There was no, um, I wasn't thinking about, I wasn't questioning his behavior, nothing like that. It just came out of the blue. So I thought, well, I better listen to that. And then, as you know, when I sat down to his computer, he's upstairs in the shower and I open up and there's this cursor that says password. And I thought, (laughs) I have no idea what his password is. I'll never be able to guess this. And through a through a a process of, of thinking different thoughts that came to my mind, he usually used dates. That was the first thought that came to me. And then I remember thinking about um, the date that his, his son was, one of his sons was born and that it was very close to, um, the date of his anniversary. And so just randomly I put in the anniversary date of his first wife, he and his first wife's, you know, marriage, the day they got married. I nope. figured out what year it was. <laughs> That's and kind it, of troubling. Can I just insert that I right now? <laughs> I mean, I know I'm stating the obvious, but I I think I I would have been pretty red at that point if it worked. Who would guess that? I know. Who would guess that? Yeah. Why would you? That's God. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even have time to be upset because as soon as it it went in, I just went, oh, my goodness. That was like the lottery right there. Like. (laughs) You know, no kidding. How in the world does that happen? Like it doesn't. It doesn't. I ask crazy. Yeah, for sure. That was a miracle. And so then I found out, of course, that he was planning this major trip that he had been lying to me about. And so when I went upstairs and confronted him on it, anybody that's familiar with a narcissist, they know that they will sidetrack the truth. They'll turn it around on you and they'll start bullying you, making you the problem Mm -hmm. and you or anything that's going on, right? So exactly. And at this point, after seven years, it had been, you know, I had pretty much hit my max of of the bullying and all that. So I slapped his face. He was he was um, saying something about my children and me as a mother that was very demeaning, and I slapped his face. And he called the cops and and had them send me to jail because um, 
while he was saying that I had slugged him in the, with a fist and that I might have cracked his cheekbone, blah, 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 but there was no red mark. But the, the police officer that was there said, did you make physical contact with him? I said, well, yeah, but I didn't hit him with a fist. I slapped him, you know, in the face. And he said, well, then, ma'am, you're going to jail today. Wow. And of course, my narcissist didn't um, try to correct the story or, you know, he just stood there with his arms folded saying, you know, kind of like with the look of you don't mess with me, mm. you know? So, so. And he there... didn't do anything to stop you. No. In fact, I, didn't he say something like, well, I guess you're going to learn your lesson now or something to that effect. Yes, he did. He sent, and he was not supposed to contact me nor I, was I supposed to contact him, but he sent out an email um, telling me, and I don't even think you've read this part yet because it's later in the book, but he, you know, explains why I was the problem and that, you know, I shouldn't have done that and, and how embarrassing for, for me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, cause of course, you know, a narcissist cannot take accountability for, for anything, but yeah, I, I know this tale only too well, sadly. Yeah, yeah. And the neighbors were out and they had to see this. And I, I'm just incredulous over the fact that they didn't let you have your phone. Right. And or get direct. <laughs> I was still in my pajamas and I asked politely if I could go, you know, get a bra on and and a jacket. And, and the one officer said, I can run and get her a jacket. And the other one was the one that wasn't so nice. And he said, no, she'll be, you'll be the nicest one dressed that you'll, you'll be dressed nicer than anybody else where you're going. And so I felt mm. very uncomfortable going in the attire that I was wearing, but, um, and, and he was also the one that took me out onto the sidewalk, made sure he handcuffed me on the sidewalk where the neighbors could see before putting me in the vehicle. So, uh, it yeah, sounds it was to me like he had some issues himself and then, yeah, I think so. He, uh, yeah. he was not kind to me at all. And he right. was not kind of the man that I met when I first went in there, uh, who was so kind to me and looked up at me and just said, you don't belong here, do you? You know, and I just about broke down in tears at that point. But, uh, you know, in spite of the difficulty of that situation, there were so many miracles and so much love extended to me that I was able to make it through it. And that's one of those things I, I, what I mean when I'm talking about the tools that God gives us to yeah. get through difficult times. Yeah, you certainly had miracles there which blow my mind. I'm still reeling with, I'm still reeling. I'm mad when I think about the fact that you asked, could you not even just take your cell phone so you could call your children so that when they returned home, they would know where you were. That was yeah. disallowed. Yeah. Like I, you were the world's worst felon at this point. Oh yeah. That's what I was. I was treated like white trash. Wow. Definitely. I was, I was white trash and nobody was interested in my real story. Well, I don't say nobody's because um there was actually the the person who took my mugshot was so incredibly kind to me and uh he didn't even have to say much just the way he treated me with respect mm. and and you know a funny story that's not in the book <laughs> um i wanted to remember that moment so i 
got a copy of my mugshot off the internet, which unfortunately you can no longer get anymore because all of the um, charges were dropped. But, but, and I don't have a copy of it. It was, it was just so, if you could see my face in that mugshot, it it would tell the whole story of how broken, heartbroken, Mm. but, but, it just really helped to have someone treat me kindly there. And, you know, that like, you know, and some of the other people that I met there were very kind as well. So, um, yeah, lots of miracles. I mean, there's, there's a lot of miracles that happened in, in my life that I, you know, a lot of them I wrote about in the book and, but a lot of them I haven't. And it's, to me, they are moments that I cannot ever deny. You know, uh, I I wish and hope for everyone to be able to have spiritual experiences like that. Uh, they don't always come easily. You know, I think there's definitely some, you have to have an openness to it. You know, even if you only have a seed of faith and you want to believe, you don't maybe necessarily believe, but you want to believe. I think praying when we don't feel like praying is another way of of opening up the windows of heaven um there's there's many things that we can do but but most importantly i think is if if you don't believe yourself just believe on the words of others until you can until your own seed can grow mm, i don't think i've ever heard anybody say it like that before and that's incredible advice, Soma. And uh, I want to get to your pain is purposeful. But before we go there, looking back on all of those miracles that you experienced, and there were a number of them as you were enduring that short time in the penitentiary, not the least of which was, as I gasped, the strip search and all of that you had to go through. What was your biggest miracle in all of that? What was your greatest takeaway? From from that particular experience, I think my greatest takeaway was learning that my my narcissist didn't have the capacity to love me. And I know that sounds painful, but it really was so profound to me because I did I, I didn't have to keep fighting and 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 being, you know, feeling like I was the the problem and that there must be something wrong with me. You know, we all have this imposter syndrome. Oh, I just can't do it. Oh, there must be something about me that's wrong. And, and when you realize that, that not only are you not expected to be perfect, you know, sometimes where you're at in your life is you know, at a place where if if the other person doesn't have the capacity to love you, it doesn't define you. You know, and I and I realized that. And as I I took I I was required to take a domestic violence course, which is funny, but yeah, in, I'm laughing. <laughs> not ever, you know, it's never ridiculous. been violent, never ever been violent in my life, but. But in that course is where I learned what is appropriate behavior in relationships and what is inappropriate. And I realized that 
wow, all of these instances where I thought I was crazy with my narcissist, you know, it, it wasn't, it was inappropriate behavior. It is not appropriate for someone to give you the silent treatment for three days and just not, you know, and, and all these other things. I'm like, wow, this is describing him perfectly. And that's when I started researching on the internet and realized, you know, looking up narcissism and, and, you know, like 15 of the 19 different descriptions described him really well you know, uh, some of them described him perfectly. So that was as, as painful as it was, it was a pivotal point in my life where I could shift my perspective and see where, and it, that it wasn't him. My problems didn't start with him. My problems stemmed back from my childhood and the broken belief systems that I had carried from my parents and from those experiences. And so it was an opportunity for me to to gain greater self-awareness and say, okay, what has been drawing me into these broken relationships? And that was a catalyst for me. So, and, you know, there's, there's other miracles that have happened in my life that have been that profound. And one of them I mentioned in the book was when I was only 15 years old and I was in an environment that was not conducive to the spirit. No, my parents were partiers and, you know, my mom was on drugs, my brother was on drugs. And there was a lot of just, you know, my, my stepfather was atheist and there was, you know, just didn't believe in God. There was, there was not a great environment, but I had this belief that God was there. And so I knelt down and I, I I had learned as a small child, you know, I had been sent to church. I, I, I knew kind of a lot of, a little bit about prayer. So I, I prayed to God and the things that happened after that simple prayer of a 15 year old were so profound. They have affected me for the rest of my life. And I'm now 54 years old. So that was a an anchor for me in my life. And I won't go into the whole story. You can you, you'll you'll read it when you get to that point. But um, tonight, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to keep my eyes open late last night, but I made some progress. And yeah, I want to keep reading. Well, I'm so I'm so grateful for that. I just I love hearing when people are having an experience as they read my book. You know, if I ever have a bad day, I just go on Amazon and read some of the reviews. <laughs> That's like, so awesome. Okay, you are making a difference. It's okay. You can, you know, um we don't have to be perfect every day. And, and like you said, we're, we're not defined by our mistakes, but a a funny thing when you were talking about being authentic, I have a really, or, and, and transparent in my writing, I have a funny story. So I went to a writer's conference and they were doing an exercise where you meet up with some random person and you say, you tell each other something that you would be uncomfortable telling someone a truth about yourself that you would be uncomfortable telling someone. Ooh, that's an exercise. I know, right? <laughs> Stepping outside 
the comfort zone for sure. So I thought of something which I was, you know, pretty, pretty out there. I mean, I've, I've experienced quite a few things. So I said, you and me both. And you would not believe the look on her face. (laughs) She just (laughs) looked at me, her, her jaw dropped with, you know, this, and immediately I had this, oh no, I can't believe I told her that. And then I thought, wait, I put it in my book. I mean, the whole world could know if they wanted to, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's something that I was uncomfortable doing, but I did it because I want anybody else to know who's been through those experiences that it's okay. I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know how you feel unworthy or you feel incapable of doing something or you feel resigned or you feel like God must not, like if there is a God, he must not love you. I've felt that before. So anyway, I, I share those experiences because I know people are there. We, we, we get in some really dark moments and I don't want people to have to stay there. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the whole point of of doing this podcast is once we are absolutely assured of who we are in God, and we believe that God is who he says he is, and that he's intricately, intimately involved in our lives, well, then it's easier to banish the lies of the enemy. Because let me tell you, he's going to come after us constantly night and day, trying to convince us that we are unworthy or what have you. And transparency really is the only way to be effective as far as I am concerned. And what what someone does with that is their own problem. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm rooted in the truth, and I know who I am. And if someone doesn't perceive the truth that I am trying to convey, that's on them. Mm-hmm. That's not on me. Mm-hmm. And all I know is is to be as authentic as I know how to be. And I do that for him. Yeah. And and no one else. And, and it's not because I feel any relief in being authentic. No, truthfully, truthfully, it's a, a we talked about this earlier, like, (laughs) I have said things on this podcast, I'm like, Oh, my gosh, I need to go talk with my family about that. I need to let them know how transparent I've truly been. But like we talked about earlier, Soma, when you bring those things out into light, you render the enemy incapable of his shenanery in the dark. Yeah, so I think that's awesome. So tell me about the pain thing. I mean, I'm looking at the clock. Of course, we're gonna have to have part two for sure. Um, I I had a a back surgery go terribly wrong. And before surgery, I just had the sciatic pain down the leg. And it was pretty consistent for about a year before I finally went in to have surgery. They just there was a herniated disc. We don't even know how I got it. But um, they went in to shave that herniation off. Well, I found out later that he actually drilled through bone to get to this herniation, which um, aggravated an, the the disc itself, and it, it ended up collapsing. So instead of repairing the disc, it completely disintegrated. And so now I have bone on bone and, and what is called severe degenerative disc disorder, which I'm not, oh. I'm not taking on that title, but right. that's what they called it. But so over the course of the, the next month after I came back from that surgery, the pain just kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse until I was calling, leaving messages on the doctor's 
uh, phone saying, crying, saying, please, you've got to help me. I'm in so much pain. I can't handle this. And they would just get back to me and be like, well, sorry, his first appointment availability is on January 2nd. So, oh, you know, I, but, but I am dying in pain. I'm, <sighs> and I've delivered nine and a half and 10 pound babies naturally. So I, yeah, I me know. too. I get what you're saying. And that infuriates me hearing that. I just, yeah, I don't know how people can be so desensitized. And even that police officer. Now, I know he deals with a lot of really rough people. Right. But he didn't need to be so desensitized that he wasn't able to extend a modicum of human decency to you. Well, (laughs) there's obviously something in his life that's blocking him from being able to see that. True. You know, true. Hopefully, you know, he will have the experiences in his life that might open open his eyes to a different perspective. But, you know, that's, that's not my place to say. But as far as the pain that I was experiencing, and, and yeah, I was mad at my doctor back then. But uh, after the month, and, and, and I went to see him, and, and all I kept getting back was, well, you should be out of pain. Well, I was in so much pain, I couldn't walk. My husband had to drag, literally drag me to the bathroom, which was only a few feet away and would take 45 minutes because I couldn't walk. I couldn't put one foot in front of the other. The pain was so intolerable. And, you know, he had to dress me. And, um, but there were moments when the pain got so bad, I, I literally couldn't breathe. And the one time I just felt like I was suffocating and dying. So, uh, to make a long story short, I had, after this, all of these experiences with pain and really chronic pain is it messes with your head because when you have something that goes on for a day or two, you can handle it. But when it goes on week after week and then month after month and you don't see any progress and you just can't imagine being in this much pain for the rest of your life, it messes with your mind. Mm. So I decided to have a conversation with pain and say, hey, you know, why do you feel like you've had to be so prominent in my life? And the answers that came back from that are um, what helped me come up with the end of my book. And I knew the instant that I thought these things and had this aha moment that this was the end of my book. I had been writing the book for a year and a half without knowing what the ending was, just based on the promptings from God saying, you need to write a book. And I'm like, well, I don't want to write a book just to, to say, you know, to be the victim and say, wow, you know, you've had all this stuff happen to you. I, I wanted to have some kind of a benefit that people could get from reading. And so once I had that conversation with pain and found out its purpose, wow, it was profound to me. And I, I, you know, tears were streaming down my face. I ran out and I told my husband, I know the end of the book. I know the end of the book. So, so is that something you want not to share right now? Because I'm dying over here thinking, you okay, what's yeah. your answer? Now, don't you, don't <laughs> you dare go to the end of the book and read the end. It will ruin it. Uh. Because you have, to, you have to, to get the perspective that you need at the end of the book. You have to read the experiences that happened during the book. Or it won't mean as much to you. It won't make as much sense to you until you've read the experiences that I had and, you know, the things that I went through. So, so if, if you're tempted to do that kind of thing, I highly encourage you not to get to do that. Yeah. So I'm not going to, not going to reveal the end of the book. I feel like it's something that it's an entire experience that needs to be had. Uh, 
in in reading it and then having that moment. But I will say that my audiobook is getting ready to come out within the next few weeks. I'm very excited about that. So if anybody wants any information on that, they just need to go to my website and sign up for my email list and I'll have all the info and free links. You know, um, people, I'm going to be giving away um, free versions of my um, book on Audible and stuff like that. So for sure, we'll have to give that information. But it's, um, yeah, it was it was a wonderful, delightful day for me to finally know why I, I was doing what I had been doing for two years. <laughs> wow. Well, you said something that really stood out to me today when we were talking. And I don't even remember, I won't phrase this correctly, but you said something like, there's purpose behind pain. There's mm-hmm. a reason we go through pain. So it sort of circles back around to my mom's comment today. Why? Why? Honestly, it, we could we could be talking about that and maybe we will for the rest of eternity. I don't know. Yeah. But I Very- love what you said because that helps us embrace it. And then it reminds me of something another author said to me, Terry Sullivan. And she was on the podcast not too long ago. And she said, we have in every single situation of pain or other uncomfortable struggle. And she dealt with severe physical pain for a while herself. She said, it's an opportunity to hand it over to God in exchange for something else. And I really felt like, now that's something that Mm. if you could really wrap a mind around, potentially could Mm -hmm. be life changing. If we always looked at that as, okay, here's my situation, as so many, you've had so many situations like this, an opportunity to hand it over to God (laughs) and let him do his thing with it and to trust the process, which is, is so hard so unspeakably hard when you're suffering. Yeah. But one of the motives for me that helps me through it is knowing that if I get through this, then I can help somebody else. Oh, yeah. Helping myself yeah. is not enough of a motive. But if I'm knowing that I'm helping someone else, and one of those things that we get in exchange is knowledge, you know, so, yes. so we, we gain knowledge. But even that for me wasn't enough. I would have rather stayed stupid and happy (laughs) you and me both sister (laughs) but once I wrapped my head around the possibility that I can have an influence for the better on others you know what kind of impact can I make in the lives of others it helped give me the strength and courage I needed to get through those moments Yeah, I've had similar experiences, railed at God, why am I going through this? And I know, on one occasion, I can remember him saying, you're going to help other people because of this. Yeah. And I remember saying, I think that's great, great idea. But can we stop the nonsense now? (laughs) Like, can can we put an end to this? I'll I'll agree. Okay, I'm willing to help. But I, you know, really would rather not do this. (laughs) Right. Rather not go there. We talked earlier about how, you know, for for me and and I'm sure you as well that you get to those moments where you know if you decide you have a cause and you start doing that then the universe is going to test you and so you get all of these walls in your way and and you know that's it's important to keep perspective that's why they say you know know your why um you know if you if you 
have a why, you'll find a way. But what I like to think of is so the motive for me is is love. If if there's yes. love for other people, love mm. for yourself, then what I say is make the love in your why stronger than the walls in your way. Ooh, like it. That's good. Yeah. That's so good. Well, and you mentioned earlier, A Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and I was thinking about Louis Zapparini's Unbroken. I don't know if you read the yeah. book. Two different movies. But I mean, I read the book and I was, I couldn't believe all the man had gone through. Oh, I mean, I really. Know. And my husband had read the book before I did. And I said to him, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this man at sea for so long. And his friends have been eaten by sharks. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff is going mm-hmm. on. And he goes, just wait. Well, he no. hadn't even gotten to the Japanese prisoner of war camp at right? that point. And I remember thinking, how much could one human go through? And yet there he was in his 90s running again. He was he was an Olympic mm-hmm. or he was a potential Olympic yeah. athlete, wasn't able to go, got called into service during World War II. But he ended up in his 90s running the track. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is so profound. This means that no matter how things look, like you said, so in the moment you think, this is the rest of my life. The mm-hmm. enemy wants to convince me that I am never going to get out of this pain. I'm never mm-hmm. going to get away from this situation. It's never going to get any better. I'm never going to experience joy. But that's not true. And so my takeaway with Louis' story was so significant because I kept thinking, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it looks like, God has the final say. Yeah. And that was very helpful to me. But I love what you're doing. I love your platform. I want to have you back, please. I mean that. I know we, I say that a lot, but I mean it. I, I just <laughs> think there's so much that you delve into. We just hit the surface on a lot of the stuff, but. Yeah, for sure. And the enemy coming after us whenever we're doing God's work. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I feel that pain. <laughs> I really, I really feel yeah. that pain. And I have to just say, okay, Lord strengthen me, get me through this. I can do this. I can do this for you. Share a little love. And well, I do have one final message for your love to hear it. That is, there is no place low enough that God's hand can't reach you. Mm. Yeah. And I know fact because I've been in some really low places. (laughs) (laughs) So I hope that resonates with your listeners i i want to tell them personally and you know thank you for listening today because i can't make an impact you can't make an impact if if there aren't people reaching out and listening to what we have to say and it means a lot to me that people take the time to pay attention because time is valuable yeah well i that's beautifully said my friend and i I just love you. I'm so glad we know each other. You know, I was like, I'm like, okay, let's talk. Let's get on the phone after this is over. And yes. We- <laughs> well, and I was thinking, you know, we talked about how God demonstrates his love and color. And I, I'm just reflective of this so much, so aware of the friends he gives us. And oh, yeah. The ways the connect- that I, yeah, the connections oh, and I yeah. meet people with of the Absolutely. same mind constantly. Mm-hmm. So I head into my favorite department store and there's a woman I see all of the time. We just connected and we talk faith when I'm in or I get my nails done. Same thing or mm-hmm. my hair or mm-hmm. whatever it is. It's just, it's crazy to me 
but what a gift. And that someone like you, we met through a mutual friend, Kelly Renee Baker, and Mm -hmm. that we could have just so much. We're just so in tune with one another. And I love it. She's amazing, by the way, too. I love her with all my heart. I know. Me too. She's she's amazing. Yes. And so there, again, I reflect on God's goodness just in the form of friends. He he's just so good. And if you feel like you're missing those connections, I would just say, my friends, get out, talk to people, see what they have to say, and let God do the rest. Create that God space mm-hmm. in which to work and believe and he he'll come through for you. Yeah. And pray when you don't, even when you don't feel like praying, pray for these yes. and in your life and they will. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure again. Soma, you. Soma um, Ray Hathaway, and I will have your information up on the show notes. Is there perfect. anything else you want to give them like a web address? Well, really, I'm just going to say go to findingthediamonds.com because if you just go to that page, that, that homepage, scroll to the bottom and sign up for my email list, that's where all the info is going to come. I've got a contest just getting ready to start for people to name some of my artwork and the winners will get a print of the uh, some of my artwork of their choice. And we've got lots of other fun things going on. Like I said, I'm getting ready to launch the audio version of my book. And there were a lot of miracles we didn't even talk about that happened with the audio version. So all of this info is available when you sign up for my email list, just get on there and, um, and reach out to me. I'd love to connect with you personally if you decide to send me an email as well. That sounds amazing. I, can I just say, I'm so glad there were miracles for you associated with that audiobook because let me tell you, with my audiobook, I had one, <laughs> one mountain after the next. I bayoneted through jungles yep. and sweated in the desert and oh, got down on my oh, knees honey. and I cried. I had all that <laughs> was to do. All of that awful. Do. <laughs> it was awful. But I guess the yep, miracle of it is it after two years, it finally, you know, finally got released in January. So yep. I'm so well, happy for you. And yes, let's have you back. We will schedule something and I know we'll be talking here shortly off the air. It's just, it's just been a pleasure today. Soma Ray Hathaway. Thank you, Soma. And the rest of you, as Soma said, thank you so much for listening. Please continue to join us on Color Speak, wherever you find your podcasts. And now on Grace and Truth Radio World, this is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, celebrating relevance, restoration, social influence, and dynamic purpose in all places and all seasons.